is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast, episode 144. I can't believe we are almost at episode 150. What the f- This is like literally live on air. I've realised that we're approaching episode 150. That's insane. I am so amazed for one that we're still going and be pleased and delighted and thank you all so much for listening and I'm sure you'll get all of this like gratitude and everything when we actually hit 150 because you know Sasha we're not quite there yet. Um Anyway, uh, this episode is with Meg Jolly. Meg is actually one of my friends in real life. Um, I met her at, well, (laughs) technically I met her at 20 Books to 50K, uh, the first one, which was in London. But we were both, we both knew who each other were and were a little bit too shy to actually introduce ourselves. So we sort of nodded at each other in various cues and things. And then we actually started speaking uh, at the Edinburgh 20 Books to 50K uh, conference. Um, yeah, and we have been friends ever since. So I am delighted to have her on the, ep- on the show because we're going to be talking about how to manage multiple genres. So Meg writes in two different genres and she does it incredibly successfully. So yes, and uh, thanks to Sarah who uh, requested that I bring Meg on the show. This episode's for you, my love. Okay, so last week's question was, are you intuitive? Literally nobody answered this. However, we did have a ton of comments. <laughs> so I'm going to read the comments anyway, even though nobody <laughs> tells me if they're intuitive. Okay, so Karen Heenan said, Sasha had entirely too much fun here. Yes, I really, really did. Also, while well, recording while jet lagged is a gift. Sarah Robinson said, uh, looking forward to this one, having only discovered Becca Syme via a YouTube channel this morning. Oh my God, you've only just discovered Becca. All I can say is welcome to the rabbit hole. It's a good one, baby. <laughs> oh, I am all giggly and happy this morning. Oh, I need to like calm down and get back in my box. Right, Sarah Snipes says, oh my God, yay. I'm like smack in the middle of her book for intuitive writers, which is fantastic. I've read it, I loved it. I uh, highly recommend it. Um, oh, please. Please forgive me. I think it's either Nessie or Necky Jeffers said, I attended a workshop by Becca Syme at a writer's conference last month. She was amazing. Excited to listen to this one. Yeah, she really is amazing. I um, I went to her her Becca Nation conference last year and I'm going again this year and I'm super freaking excited. I needed like, I don't know, like a week to recover from the input overload uh, last conference, but yeah. Okay, so Kim Rosario said, just started following the both of you. Sasha, I absolutely love your voice in the podcast. Why, thank you, darling. Uh, And have recently started listening and the humour and relaxed vibes of your hosting. Uh, We'll be listening to the backlist. Thank you. Yay, thank you so much. And isn't that wonderful? I was just talking at the top of the episode about how we're approaching 150 episodes and people are still discovering it, which is awesome. Like, that's amazing. Um, And also goes to show the power of a backlist, right? Which is what we're all aiming for as indie authors. It is literally all about how quickly, well, not quickly necessarily, but, you know, how can you create that backlist? Because then you have that ability, uh, marketing ability and flexibility and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Oh my God. I'm not going to get into uh, marketing nonsense right now. Right. So CJ Dayton said, cut me to the quick. (laughs) gotta listen to it again and send it to friends the whole thing about intuition and failure mind blown 
Ray Klein said, oh my God, this came at the perfect time. Uh, I have been trying to write a book for like two years, but everyone said I have uh, to outline. So I couldn't write the book after I outlined and it sucked. Finally this week, I tried just writing it and three chapters in and 5,000 words in three days. Oh my goodness, I am doing great. And I automatically hit all the plot beats or scenes I normally planned out, uh, but now I am getting them out on the page. And isn't that just amazing? I am, like that's why I podcast, right? Because that has helped Ray to literally get words on the page and to stop feeling like they have to do what everybody else says. And if there's one thing you take away from the rebel author podcast, it's to rebel against everything, right? Don't let anyone tell you a goddamn fucking thing. You get to decide what is important to you, how you want to work, what your process is. So yeah, I love that. Maybe Ray should be the rebel of the week this week. <laughs> Uh, okay, Jackson Hollingsworth said, uh, loved the episode, especially the nature versus nurture debate, an encouragement to work with your strings instead of against them. Yes, I love that too. I love also, I, I actually really want to nerd out a little bit and check out some academic papers on strengths uh, it, genetically, so like in families. Uh, Becca has talked about it a little bit uh, on some of her various, uh, like, uh, what are they called? T topical cool things that she does. Uh, but I'm super interested just because I find it fascinating that like both my parents are yellow dominant as well and I'm pretty sure my son is yellow dominant <laughs> and yet yellow strengths are the least frequent strengths so that does indicate that there probably is some genetic thing but anyway right this is not a science podcast <laughs> Okay, the uh, question of the week this week is across your career what genres would you like to write in? The book recommendation for the week this week is Lucky Bitch, A Guide for Exceptional Women to Create Outrageous Success by Denise Duffield Thomas. And although it's like exceptional women, I do think that uh, men or non-binary people could listen to this uh, book and get just as much as I did from it. Uh, I say listen because I listened to the audiobook. I didn't read the uh, paperback. I have to say I have um, read slash listened to I think three or three of her books now so I read one Get Rich Lucky Bitch which I think I recommended on here I also read Chillpreneur Chillpreneur was actually my least favorite of all the books uh, but that may be because I was only just coming to her I'm not sure maybe if I re-listened now I'd feel differently uh, Lucky Bitch I felt was a little bit of a crossover with the Get Rich book um so if you've read Get Rich, I don't really necessarily think you'll get anything more from um, the Lucky Bitch Guide. However, it was kind of like woo-woo, a bit of like manifestation um, and kind of like how she managed to get her success. It was kind of like almost memoiry. What I would say is that if you get the audiobook, be prepared for a really fucking piss poor edited audiobook. It's the worst edited audiobook I have ever listened to. Despite that, it was very good. I really enjoyed the content. I really enjoyed her narration. She's fun. She's bubbly. I don't know if they uploaded the wrong files, but um, just be warned because obviously I'm recommending this book. I have to be completely honest about it. Um, there were a lot of mistakes in the book, probably upwards of 30 audio mistakes. I genuinely feel like they must have uploaded the wrong book. They couldn't, they couldn't, you couldn't possibly upload files with that many mistakes in or like somebody didn't proof it. I don't know. 
Anyway, um, ton of mistakes in there. That aside, still loved it. Loved it, thought it was fun, loved the narration. Um, yeah, so highly recommend that. So in personal update news this week, so much has been going on. I have finally, haha, sent the anatomy of a bestseller to the editor. Ah, oh, it was so hard to let go. Like I still feel, I still feel like I may mess with it when it comes back from the editor, which really I ought not to do because I'll be terrified of putting mistakes in. But um, I think I'm, I, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> As you can see, I'm still really uncomfortable about the book. Um, basically, it just feels, I know that I do this every single time. And like, I've had four or five people go to me like, Sasha, come on now, you know you do this with every single book. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's just that this one feels different. And they're like, yeah, you say that about every single book too. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, but genuinely, I know I say this every time. <laughs> but this one feels different. It does, I swear. It's a real feeling. Uh, my feelings are valid, okay? No, I'm kidding. Uh, so I just, I'm really nervous. Like I know I normally get nervous about launches, but this time it does feel different and I'll tell you why. It feels different because this book is process-based, right? So it is a process that I do. It is a methodology that I use. Therefore, I know it will not work for everybody. And that makes me uncomfortable because I like to give out information that is applicable to everybody. Um, and so of course, when you write a craft book and you're looking at like story and story like structure, or you're looking at like character arcs or whatever, it follows a, 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 an accepted method. It is fact, if you like. Even if we don't all have the same voice and we don't implement the same tools, that's fine. But I'm not writing about a thing that is process-based. So yeah, this book is process-based. What I have tried to do is give lots of options. So, um, you know, and maybe I will talk about this in, in a, yeah, that's what I'll do. I will talk about this more in an episode, uh, a dedicated episode to the anatomy of a bestseller. But I have to say, I'm getting quite excited. I've had three people read the book now. It's with the editor, so that's the fourth person. Um, and then I'm just recruiting street team members. So if you would either like to help with the launch but you don't want to read a copy in advance, that's fine. Please email uh, Becca, which is B-E-C-C-A at sashablack.co.uk and I'll put the link in the show notes and just put street team in the subject line and she will deal with that. If you would like to read an advance copy um, uh, and you are able to read it in the month of July and you can post on more than one location. So in order of priority, it's Amazon, Goodreads, and then like Apple and Kobo together and then anywhere else. Um, and you are, and you have left me a review before because I've had quite a lot of people request for the last couple of street teams I've done and not leave reviews. So I'm trying to really make sure that the that whoever I give arcs to, they are they are people that do leave reviews. Um, so yes, if you would like to get an advanced copy, then please email Becca at sashablack.co.uk and put um, advanced reader copy uh, in, in the subject line and just give her that information that you can read it in July, um, a link to a review that you've already posted um, and conf confirming that you can uh, post your review in a couple of different places. And we will get that um, information, information, we will get copies out to those people who, who are on the street team as soon as possible. 
So in terms of other things that have been going on, uh, this last week I have been drafting and I have been drafting fiction. I am going to be writing a non-fiction book after this fiction book, but uh, the fiction book that I'm working on finally, after so many fucking years of talking about it, is The Scent of Death. Now, I came to this with a 23,000 word skeleton uh, draft, which means some of the chapters uh, had words in, some of the chapters were just like, this person goes here, and then this person goes there, and it smells like this, and this happens, you know, or whatever. So it was like a kind of half outlining, half skeleton. I have had to change quite a few things because that like basically I've abandoned the skeleton because the skeleton was written in uh, four different points of view and the wrong tense and the, had the wrong pronouns because I changed the gender of the main character uh, before I started this draft because I wanted it to be sapphic which meant I also had to change some of the structure of the story so it's been interesting but what I have done is something that I've never done before so I've kept I have two uh, computer screens so I have the old skeleton draft open on one page and I have been typing uh, in a new Scrivener file and I've sort of been looking and referencing the old skeleton but continuing to write new words um, and sometimes like rewriting up a line that I had written in the skeleton but instead of lifting and pasting it I'm literally retyping it I thought this might be super inefficient but actually what I have found and this this is, uh, this is what is working for me. I am not saying this would work for you. But what I have found is it's keeping my brain in flow. I'm not having to stop, look at post-its or, you know, whatever. I'm just writing and I sort of glance across, but I keep typing and that has really helped keep me in flow. The other thing that happened is, I can't remember if I told you this, but my coach basically told me to be realistic with my goals. <laughs> And uh, we all know I'm not very realistic about anything, really. I always want to aim for the top. Um, so I had, when I started drafting, I had 22 writing sessions between now and when we go to South Africa. And so I was like, right, 22 writing sessions. Let's write the whole book. And my coach, rightly so, was like, mm, no. And I was like, mm, Yes. Uh, anyway, so there was a bit of like banterous negotiation that went on. And she has set me a three tiered goal, a sort of like low level, this is the minimum, a medium level goal, which is to say, look, you'll be doing really well if you do this based on my old stats, like she has my old trackers and stuff. And then a Mount Everest type goal. But I would like to point out that the Mount Everest goal is not the completion of the book. So I I am like struggling a little bit because I'm like, no, I must complete the book. And also because she told me she, I couldn't, I really, really want to. So I have been sharing on Instagram a anonymous pie chart, if you like. So percentages. And each day I, I write, because I write Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. I don't write on Thursdays. Today is Thursday, the 23rd of June, by the way. Um, each day I write, I post up the percentage I am complete, the percentage I am the way through the book, essentially, or not through the book, but through through my goal. I've set a goal, which is not her goal. <laughs> and um, and that's, the, and I share the percentage of the way through that I am. Because what, what I want, what I like is the accountability of like the public pressure of like, I'm posting this so other people will see it because I know people will look at my stories. But also, um, not actually saying the word counts because sharing word counts makes me nervous because <laughs> I'm like, well, what if I can't sustain this? Uh, so yeah, I have had a absolutely fucking amazing first week. I can't believe it. Essentially, um, 
I used to get X amount of words across a whole working day, right? So if I had a whole working day, I would get X amount of words. What has happened since being told I can't do something? <laughs> Psychological mindfuckery strengths are amazing is that I have doubled that word count, that older daily word count. But not only that, I have doubled it and I'm achieving double my old daily word count in two hours. I shit you not. Like I am doing these sprints in um, owright.co and I will share the link in the show notes. Um, and it's like this web room where you have like a Google Doc essentially and you type your words into it. But other people are in the room as well. You cannot see what they're writing and they cannot see what you're writing. The only thing that you can both see is your word counts. And of course, with Achiever and with competition and just like liking community and working in a team, um, are, seeing other people work encourages me to work. So I have been getting faster and faster and faster um, to the point where I've doubled my daily workout and now I'm doing it in two hours. So this is kind of awesome for me. I don't know if I will be able to sustain it. I asked one of my friends who also does strengths the other day if they thought I would, like how long they thought I'd be able to sustain it for. And their response was, until you win. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's probably a good point. So maybe, maybe I will win, I don't know. Um, but yeah, if you see me writing, please cheer me on because I'm trying really, really hard. And if I get this book drafted before I go to South Africa, I will be fucking ecstatic. So that would be amazing. Like, don't get me wrong. Nobody's saying these words are amazing. Like we all know that I'm like vomiting words out and therefore I will have to do a big fat fucking edit uh, when I come back. But yeah, I'm buzzy and I'm buzzy off of the achievement as well and buzzy off of the community and like the fact that I'm getting to sprint with friends and stuff. So yeah. Okay, I think that is probably enough waffling from me. Uh, most of the next week we'll be working on launch prep for the anatomy of a bestseller and um, what is, and drafting words. So yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add. Oh, I do actually. No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that. Okay, right. Revel of the week is AK Mulford. Uh, AK says, um, I am a long-time listener of the Rebel Author Podcast. Um, thanks for joining me on many walks with my dog, Ziggy. Aww. I'm so... I love finding out where you guys listen. I think that's so cool. Um, whenever you get to uh, the Rebel of the Week, a goal always pops into my mind and I tell myself, one day I'm really going to do this and send in an email. You did it! Congratulations! You're on the show! This goal started long before I started self-publishing. I knew I wanted to write a fantasy book with a non-binary main character. That is awesome. A lot of people tried to dissuade me. Oh my God, why? Um, they said things like uh, they can be a side character, but they can't carry a whole book. Oh my God, that is such bullshit. Uh, or they, them pronouns are too confusing or it's not palatable enough to a wide enough audience. Oh my God. Who are these people? Fuck them all off and you do you, baby. Uh, this was all before I came out as non-binary myself. And I'm so glad instead of being discouraged, I said, hold my beer and did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, you did. I love this. 
My goal that I tell myself every time I listen to your show was that one day I'd email you, email you saying that not only did I write the book, but it was a fuck, it was fucking successful too. Well, the series was picked up. Oh my God, I just got goosebumps. Oh my God, I got goosebumps in a major book deal. And this book will be coming out next year and reaching more people than I ever thought possible. I am literally smothered in goosebumps. I fucking love this rebellion. Needless to say, I'm really glad I put my doubts aside and said fuck you to all those who made me feel lesser. Non-binary people can absolutely be main characters. Yes, they fucking can. We belong in the world of fantasy and we can damn well carry a story. My favourite part of being an author is the messages I get from people saying that they, they're finally able to see themselves in a world of fantasy. And I'm so glad I had you... Oh, oh my God, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm so glad I had you in my ear encouraging my little rebellion. Anyway, I so appreciate your show and everything you do for the author community. Wishing you all the, all the best and happy pride. Oh, oh my God, I'm actually really emotional. <laughs> I am so proud. I'm. This is amazing. I'm so delighted to hear that you got picked up and that you got a deal and that it's successful and that you said fuck you to all those people that tried to discourage you. I think this is an absolutely amazing rebellion and you know the, the, not at all it had nothing to do with me I really I thank you very much for saying uh, that we were alongside you as you were doing this but this was all you and I'm just delighted that we and this show could be a part um, of your journey like what an amazing story if you would like to be a rebel of the week then please do send in your story it can be any kind of rebellion it can be something big something small something in between you can email your rebel story to becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com now really i have been putting out uh, quite a lot that we do need rebel stories i'm not in charge of them so i don't know if we have enough yet um, but i do know that becca left me a message last week going Sacha, we really need some more rebel stories so this is my plea to you once again this week please send in your stories if you have them. Um, I mean, come on, who doesn't want to share amazing stories like this? So yes, thank you very much. Thank you to all of my existing patrons. No new ones this week, but oh my goodness me, we are so close to 100 patrons. I don't know what I'm going to do, like if we actually tip over into 100 patrons, but um, it will be something. It will be, it will, we will have to do some whopper of a celebration. I am actually going to post up a um, uh, an email that will be public to everybody in Patreon. So if you even if you don't if you, even if you're not a patron, follow anyway um, because you can follow for free because. I, the the benefits and things have changed so much. There's actually like this monstrous community in there doing all these awesome kinds of things. And I don't think I, I've sort of been told, <laughs> encouraged, nudged by the patrons uh, to talk more about what I'm doing. Um, and last night we had the Chosen One Masterclass and uh, they all really loved it. And thank you so much, everybody, for encouraging me. I really appreciate it. You all know. <laughs> Even though I have self-assurance, I have no self-confidence. So yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate uh, the confidence boost that you gave me. Um, and so I'm going to be sharing a little bit more detail about what we do. So if you've been on the fence about joining Patreon, then um, head on over there. It will be up by the time this episode airs and it will be public. So everybody should be able to see it. Just check the posts and you will have like a detailed list of everything that we do in Patreon. So thank you, as I said, to all of the show's patrons. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes 
as well as a metric fuckload of bonus content and goodies, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. A longer intro this week. <laughs> Sorry about that. Actually, no, I'm not. It's my fucking show. I'll have an intro if I want an intro. Uh, right, but we are now going to get on with the episode. So over to me <laughs> and Meg. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I'm super excited because I have an in real life friend with me on the show. And I know you guys much prefer when uh, I do know and have and have a long term relationship with somebody that comes on the podcast because it's a friend chat. So everyone get a cup of tea and coffee because we're gonna we're gonna have a good old natter today. So I have the one and only Meg Jolly. Meg is a USA Today best-selling author from the wild, windswept moors of Yorkshire, England. She grew up on a steady diet of famous five and Middle Earth and now writes sprawling epic fantasies and regional British crime under her two pen names. Meg writes full-time alongside raising her young son and is an eternal, ambitious student of life, mindset and balance as an introverted perfectionist. Hello, darling, and welcome. That didn't sound pretentious at all. <laughs> it sounded wonderful, like the wonderful human you are. I'm not going to have any oh. bad words said about you. Um, <laughs> tell everyone a little bit about you. Maybe, maybe say both names. I'm not sure if everybody knows sort of the two the two crossover genres. But yeah, tell everyone about you, about your journey, and like how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I am Meg. If you read my fantasy, you'll know me as Meg Cowley, and if you read my crime, you'll know me as Meg Jolly. Um, but yeah, I am basically a USA Today bestseller. Um, I write out of my back bedroom in Yorkshire, which is exactly as glamorous <laughs> as all the life actually is. Um, I yeah, I've written now. I'm full time five and a half years, and I've written for a little bit more than that. And I've done everything from epic urban romantic fantasy um, right through to British crime. And I also have a, a past that I like to hide in illustration as well. I used to illustrate coloring books and stationery and things like that. Um, so yeah, those those are that's me. That's what I've dabbled in. And, and right now I am on fantasy and crime. That's kind of where my you, love lives. You, you also dabbled in cover design as well. Uh, yeah, so yeah, um, I had run a cover design business for a few years as well. Um, also, I've done author consulting to help authors with their businesses. Um, yeah, I guess like many authors, we have multiple strings to our bow. I think that's really common, isn't it? Like loads of authors I know don't just do one thing. And I never know if it's because writing is really fucking grueling or if like we are just these creative beings that Lots like to have. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. Like I, I've always found that I used to write in the mornings and then I'd switch to like the illustration stuff on the afternoon and it was a different part of my brain. Yeah. So the writing brain would be like, oh my God, I'm so tired and put caffeine and sugar. And the creative drawing brain would be like, okay, I'm good to go. So, yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, also I just don't really like doing one thing. I feel like where's the fun in that? There's so much to enjoy being creative. Let's do all the things. Yeah, I completely agree. to rain in and run a function yeah. business on. You have to be careful which like rabbit holes and Chinese you chase. I know I'm so terrible because I'm like, I know everything must earn money. Like I must, you know. And then it's like right. I've worked so hard against that right now. I exactly given myself back reading for pleasure 
Mm. but I'm not quite at the you may have other creative hobbies that don't earn you money phase yeah I I it's like when I because I qualified as a trained nail tech at one point just to do it in the evenings to like fund my book I don't know. I'm not the people that. that. Heart of darkness, but we'll put sparkles on your nails. What is Seriously, this? I like glitter. <laughs> Stop telling oh. everyone my secrets. I'm never letting you forget that. <laughs> but yeah, and then and then like now I'm like, no, you can you can just paint your nails for fun. Like it can be just fun. No um, okay, so let's talk about your career because you write in multiple genres and. Managing one genre is a lot, let alone managing more than one genre and doing it both successfully. So like, talk about that. Talk about how you got to the point where you decided to um, move into a new genre um, and tell everyone a little bit more about the genres that you write in and the reasons you write in them. Um, And yeah, and kind of how you ended up getting to where you are at at this point. Sure. So... I guess this really comes back to the being multidisciplinary in term, in creative terms. Um, certainly when I started out, my writing did not pay the bills. <laughs> and I think we'll probably touch on this later as to how I got into it, I think. Um, but yeah, it was not an ideal start for my career. And it was like I had to just I had to find a way to pay the bills doing something creative right Meg what can you do that's creative what can you monetize so I started up in things like cover design and and think other things that weren't writing to help pay the bills and over the years my writing has become more financially successful as have the other income streams um but to the point where I've been able to phase out now most of the other income streams and just focus on the writing ones because that's really what I love to do I, mm-hmm. I love illustrating and I love all the other things I did but writing is the thing for me that I love to do the most and that's what I want to do. Mm. Um, so over the years, I've gone through quite a few different income streams to get there. But right now, I pretty much just have my epic fantasy and my crime. So it came to a point where I could have continued where in, in the vein that I was going on and keep the cover design and the consulting and all the rest of that. Um, but actually, I really wanted to start something different Um the fantasy I always got into because I loved reading it, first of all. I am like a Tolkien fan through and through. Like Middle Earth is just, oh, I love it so much. And, you know, fantasy was where I had my first story idea and we write our first book and then we grow and get it published and then, bam, we're addicted. And <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah. Like, you just can't get enough. Um, so that's where I got the publishing book. And I, I'm probably, I feel like it was probably more luck than business skill or craft skill that helped me to success there um and certainly like the business skill and the creative skills to get him sort of success but at the same time um yeah I just I just fancied something different um and and I didn't really want to continue with the cover design and stuff um the, the past few years have been quite hard personally and the pandemic like that's been so much fun um, so I was just really creatively burned out with the fantasy and I, and I just wanted a change in the business. So about 18 months ago, um, some of my buddies were doing really well in crime, in British crime. So I started reading that and thought, oh, this is quite fun. Um, and, and I started writing that and, and it's just been so fun and educational craft wise. Um, 
and I am like high strength learner and stuff like that drink I said strength (laughs) so like to dive into something new and just have something really big and chunky to kind of learn and devour and kind of immerse myself in has been awesome just really creatively fun um and yeah because of all the experience and the fuck-ups that I've made with the fantasy I was able to then be like right I know how to launch a pen name successfully like I did that with my fantasy but I made a lot of mistakes on the way so to be able to just kind of condense all that good stuff and then do it straight out of the gate has been like quite it's been quite gratifying so now I'm quite lucky I get to write two genres. I I always feel like a lot of us need to practice run with a series but that's such a painful thing to hear when you're a new writer and finishing one book feels like this fucking monumental mountain to get over but the thing is like once you've written one you know you can write another one and then by the time you get to an end of like a a, I don't know three to five book series like it it usually is a number of years but you do get faster like Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. if you are never going to be a book a month writer fine but like you do get faster no I'm not either but I am faster than I was and I did to be fair I did write a book in a month this year but (laughs) it kind of killed me yeah (laughs) yeah to be fair I have also written books in a month but they are usually non-fiction not fiction although I'm about to have a damn fucking good try at writing one in a month anyway but um yeah, like I do think that we get faster, but also our processes and systems get Yeah, exactly. And Ooh, processes and systems, those are two like dirty words for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point is we do have to try. And I think a lot of us don't go to our first series with a marketing mindset on like we go because we want to write the story and then and then suddenly we're like oh wait actually maybe we could make money with this and then you start to look at okay let's go to a series from the marketing aspect first and that I think is what changes most people's careers yeah, um, and, and now I approach it from it's a craft but also it is a business and marketing choice as well so in, in what I write especially with the crime but going forward with the fantasy as well it's the marketing is as much a factor in what and how I write as yeah. much as the love of the craft and it's and finding a way that combines the two exactly and that's what I want to ask about so like how did you approach the genre with marketing in your like in your in the back of your mind like what research did you do like did you do any reading um like what were you looking for when you were preparing to enter into this new genre yeah so research first um I'm like number one input, number two intellection, number three learner, number four deliberative. So it's just like I need to just crunch a lot of things. Drink, 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 drink. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, it was like, okay, what's out there and what's working? I don't want to just be like, I'm going to write a crime book, write the book and then go, why is this book not selling? And then figure out, oh, it's because it doesn't hit any of the market expectations and the cover's terrible and all the rest of it. So I read a lot of the bestsellers in the genre and not just in the genre, in the niche, niche, however you like, because um, I write in a very, very small subgenre of a subgenre of crime, if that makes sense. Um, and picking out story structure as well, it's it's so different to fantasy. Um, I find that the genres that I've written in, each one has a really, really different story structure. So like I write a typical sort of two body plot for my crime, but I write, write a mix of like hero, heroine journey and romance beats in my fantasy. So it's just like, you cannot swap the beat structure around and have a functioning novel in that genre. Um, and that took quite a lot to get my head around. 
Um, and then it was a, okay, go do it. And the first book is not my best book. You know, I have experience writing books, which helped me, but my first crime book is, is the weakest of the series because it was the first one I did. And every book I've done since has got stronger. So it's been a really good learning experience for me to figure out what's working in the genre. Can I take that and, and give readers what they want in my books? Okay, in my next series, how can I do that better? Because this series is kind of like the training wheels to me in this genre. So I'm curious. So, okay. I'm just, cause I'm nosy. How many books did you read? Or like roughly, you don't have to give me an exact number. I'm just curious as to how much. And the reason that I ask is because I, so I'm, I've just finished writing my next nonfiction book and I talk about how many books I've read in order to feel comfortable um, to, to go and start writing a book. And there was a real tipping point. So when I wrote the first draft, I'd read 23 books in the genre. And by the time okay. I came to edit it, I'd read 30. And when I, when I wrote the first draft, I actually said, I, at 23 books, I do not feel comfortable enough to write in this genre. But then when I edited, I was like, oh, Oh, but I do feel comfortable enough to write now. And, and, and I'm not saying that everybody, and I say this in the book, not everybody needs to read as much as me. I'm also a high input consumer. Um, and yeah. so, and also I'm like riddled with anxiety and doubt. So like I need more data and yeah. more information yeah. to massage yeah. like my doubts. Um, okay. Yeah. But like for me, I'm going to continue reading probably until I've read double, triple that until amount. Until I die. Yeah, exactly. But I just yeah. wondered like where that tipping point was for you. When did you feel confident enough to, like when had you, gathered enough information and and the sorry the second question just because I'm really nosy where did you get the structure from like did you just get that from reading did you get it from um I don't know a craft book on crime like how did you find the structure um so I'm in a small mastermind for crime authors um or I was at the time when I started writing and one of my pals in there sent me some story structure things which helped me start the bulk of my technical research for the craft side of things and um, so that was two body plot and, and looking at different sort of tropes in crime cozy mystery that sort of thing that was really really helpful um and other than that I probably read about half a dozen books before I was like ah I could give this a crack and then probably another half dozen before I started writing like between like plotting and writing just to be like, yeah, maybe, okay, let's do this. And I wrote the first book and it was shit. Um, so I shelved that and then wrote another book. And the first book I reworked and that became um, like a 30K novella because I just pitched everything the wrong length. I didn't quite have enough meat in there. There weren't enough subplots, enough suspects. So it was like, that was a really good learning experience. And that book helped me start off my readership as a lead magnet. And now I sell on Amazon. So it's earning money out there. Um, but yeah, so the first book was unintentionally um, kind of a bit, a bit of a dud, but I managed to work with it. And then the second book then became my first book and that was a lot stronger for it. So I'd probably say about a dozen books, but whilst I've been drafting the series, it's been what I've been reading. Um, so yeah, and I do find myself when I read, as no doubt you do, when you read as a writer, you pick things to pieces and you're like, oh, yeah, body's about to drop. Mm, yeah. The detective's going to figure out who it is, but it's fine because I figured it out two pages ago, like a good reader should have done, you know. So it's like picking up all the stuff and going, yes, I know how to see this as a reader, see this as a writer, I know how to lace it into my own writing. So that's yeah. something I've grown more confident with. And I probably, if I wasn't so impatient, I would have spent more time researching 
but I'm too impatient is basically well and I also think it depends on how good we are at analysis right and how intentional you have to be with that analysis a lot lot of writers Becca Simon's talking about intuitive writers now and you know some of us just naturally take in data better than other people and so yeah I just I was curious and um, I love to find out like how people approach their new genre so like what else so you've talked about like reading and understanding story uh, structure what did you do in terms of like thinking about the marketing so um like before you because you did a really cool method of like building your list and stuff even before you launched so can you talk a little bit about how you did that yeah so I'm I'm really high get registering (laughs) my my top 10 strengths are basically strategic and implementation so I am shit hot at coming up with an amazing strategy and then getting that strategy done. Do not ask me to people or influence or any of those other, other good things and like totally useless at it. But if you want to like have a good plan and get it done, I'm your gal. So for me, it was, it's just really easy to see all the pieces on the board and where they need to start and where they need to finish and how I get them there. Um, that That's basically my strength really. Um, so it was, I was very clear up front this is what I want to achieve and this is how I get there so I need a lead magnet which that first novel became as a shorter um like novella length thing that was a lead magnet I used lead generating ads to build an audience um onto my mailing list and I then was able to just explain what that means for listeners who aren't um ad savvy okay so it means that I use Facebook ads to direct um people on Facebook off onto my book funnel or website landing page where they can sign up to my newsletter to claim a free copy of that book. Um, so I spent about a thousand pounds doing that and got a few thousand subs. I also ran a multi-author um, promotion as well where 10 of us pitched in for an advertising budget of about 500 quid, I think. And we gave away about a hundred quid's worth of prizes and um, paperbacks, best-selling paperbacks in the genre at the time, trad, um, that were in our sub niche and use the rest of the money. So about 400 for a marketing budget to enter the competition, which I ran using the King Sumo um, plugin. And so that was quite successful in getting a mailing list built so that before and during the initial launch, I had people there who I could email. I was um, giving them behind the scenes on the books and telling them when they could pre-order, telling them when the books were out and just giving a bit of an intro, getting to know them. And that was that was really helpful. And that's quite a big part of my upfront strategy of launching any pen name. I've done that several times now and, and that works for me. Um, so it was, it was certainly a calculated risk, especially financially, because I was spending a lot of money up front to do that but I knew it would pay off with reasonable certainty and it did. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fantastic. So many authors don't, so many authors launch to no audience mm-hmm. and everyone's like, oh, you know, when, when do I, how long should I wait to start my mailing list? And I'm like, no, honey, you, you don't wait. Like you, you yeah. do that bit now, like right now, right fucking now, stop whatever else you're doing, set up the mailing list because it is like the single biggest regret I hear from so many authors. Like, oh, I didn't start my mailing list sooner or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's such a big asset. Like the the people who I've had on my list longest, they've been with me for nearly 10 years now. That's amazing. And, like they're still here. And that's amazing. And, and it's the start of a beautiful and brilliant relationship. But you have to take the step. Like no one knows you're there if you're not like, hi, I'm here. Yeah. Would you like the thing that I'm offering you that I know you're really going to like? 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the marketing because you are a marketing whiz. So how do you manage both writing and marketing in two mm-hmm. completely different genres? Like, do you have a dirty word system in place? Do you have a production schedule? Like, what does your year look like? And how the fuck do you manage all of that with a small human in tow as uh. well? <laughs> like I say strategic and implementation of my like core skill sets so it helps me be very efficient and very effective um but yeah I mean there's, there's a buttload of compromise in there um a buttload of compromise so yeah systems and processes are my thing um hold up my journal my bullet journal dropping receipts out for the people who want and they just help me keep up on on track so on a really big picture overview, I tend to have um, a plan of the year. What do I want to achieve? That feeds down into my quarters. Although I know we've been talking about how we can maybe plan more effectively than quarters. So I'm totally diving into that. We should say that because I think any parents <sighs> listening would really appreciate hearing yeah. this. Yeah. If this is going in the nonfiction book that I will be writing because <laughs> like, it just, yeah. Um, yeah, so we've been talking about septiles. So instead of planning in quarters, which doesn't work for any human with a small child or any child in education, looking at the six half terms and summer as seven blocks in the year um, and what can you achieve during those seven blocks? Because I feel like for me, three months is quite a vast space and I have like six to eight period, week periods of focus and then it kind of drifts off into another and I kind of yeah. don't really get as much done as what I should. And I get to the end of the quarter thinking... Yeah, yeah, I like my summer holidays are always fucked. It doesn't matter if like um the like if Chloe is off, for example, and looking after Atlas, it's very difficult for me to then work because I can hear them playing and I want to go play, or like they're going on a trip and like I want to go on the fucking trip and you know, or whatever. And and then like when my mum has him, it's all funny squiffy times. And so it makes it like I I basically those six weeks of summer. I assume I'm not getting anything done. Like, and that is the only way that I can survive mentally (laughs) because like it drives me insane. Yeah. 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 Anything that I do in the summer holidays is bonus. And then it's like the same at Christmas. Forget it. I can't, you know, I, I have more, it's taken me, I don't know how many school years, reception year one, year two, year three, four school years to accept the fact that basically. We start school in September. I'm going to be coming to you. So he goes to, um, daycare um he's been going to daycare since he was six months old and kind of he does four days a week now and it's all year round except bank holidays so other than the time we take for family vacations he's there all year round and my soul is like oh my god I can just I can stick to my routine this is all safe we're gonna be fine but yeah I'm not looking forward to, to it's that it is massively disruptive and I am trying to push myself into like more of the the half term so like what can I get done before the next holiday Mm -hmm. because even like sometimes my mum has him for the week but like it's still very disrupted and I can never bank on getting I can't guarantee that I'm going to have childcare or whatever so yeah I do try and work in those yeah it's hard because my brain likes quarters so but but yeah I think septile is going to work for me because looking at my schedule it's like I want to get six books a year written anyway and that's kind of where I'm at um, somebody working. needs to create a planner that's term time 
right? Like a quarterly planner, but term time. You need to do that. Do that. I will be your first customer. Part of my back catalogue was planners. It was illustrated planners. Meg, do it, please. I want it. I will buy. I will buy all of them. What time, Sasha? Because this is my problem, and this is where I need to compromise. So, like, I do the high level stuff, and it trickles down to the quarterlies, the weeklies, and the month, uh, the monthlies, and then the weeklies, and then the dailies. But there's still such a compromise in terms of like I'm running a full time business but I do it in four days a week and yep. I just have to be super efficient and super effective. There is nothing I do. Typically, there was a little bit of procrastination this week. I'll fess up to that. <laughs> there is typically nothing I do that is not getting me the results I want because I do not have time for that shit. Mm. And I'm trying to figure out how to fit a third pen name in because I really want to do a nonfiction on, you know, how to boss the strategy of this when you have like kids or a sick relative to care for or a life, <laughs> you mm. know, you want balance and you want to be healthy and you still want to kick ass in your business. And I genuinely don't know how I'm going to fit it in because I'm like, you're kind of squeezing everything out of your time already. Like, where's it going to fit? Yeah, I, I feel your pain. Um, I don't even, did we talk about how you manage it all? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know, we just kind of got distracted with planners and term time. Um, yeah, do you have anything else to add, like sort of about how you manage like or juggle? Oh yeah, that's what I wanted to know. Talk to me about how you do it across the year. So do you focus all on crime and then move back to fantasy? Do you juggle one, then the other, one, then the other? Like how does that work in terms of like over the course of 12 months? Yeah, so this is something that I'm working on to improve because I'm quite high focus. So I tend to find that whatever I'm doing, I'm immersed in. And I love it. And I just can't see outside the bubble. But there are other bubbles outside my bubble going, hello. (laughs) (laughs) You've utterly abandoned me. So I'm at the point now where I'm taking on some help um, because I need some extra hours. Thank you. This has been like two years in the coming. I just, but yeah, I'm doing it. Doing it. Hit me up or down. Um, to help marketing um, I just do not have the hours and the capacity to do that so I need someone to just help me with with getting that done really but as for projects I swap between them Um, I've not found a way yet um, although this is like never say never and I'll keep trying um, to work on two projects at once so you know a crime and a fantasy Um, but yeah I tend to focus on one project get it done and focus on the next project so right now I've just finished a crime book and I'm diving back into a fantasy and then the next book is a crime book when you say you get it finished do you get the draft finished or do you go and edit and then send it everything. off to edit everything okay because I so, have yeah, them that's... in train so I'll have like uh, one that's I, like I editing. That. well I can't what I can't do <sighs> is have and I I say can't and I have done it but like I don't think it's necessary sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but most of the time I can only have one thing that is the actual thing I am drafting like I reach critical yeah. mass so about 25k in and then everything yeah. else has to stop once yeah. I can still I mean, do stuff up yeah. until about that point and then once I hit yeah. that it's like no it's go time like then, this is my then the focus. war starts and you have to battle that yeah 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 but, that is exactly where I'm at whilst I'm doing that I can have another one like that's with the editor or I can have another one that's launching or but I can't I can't have two that are in drafts because that just doesn't you what your time scale is on that because I think for me my time scale is so rapid so I tend to spend not rapid (laughs) like maybe a week tops planning six weeks drafting week on my edits week with the editor and proofreading and then it's done so that's actually quite and then I can launch it in the afternoons when I'm working on another draft of something else 
I think yeah, you see how like organized you are and how that was like there's a week for this the thing that I could didn't ha- don't have a fucking clue <laughs> I just live in chaos yes you do <laughs> it's just your way is different to mine <laughs> um yeah I mean I don't know I think uh I had a look at how many writing sessions it took me to write the anatomy mm-hmm. of a bestseller and it was 14 writing sessions so yeah. I mean two weeks but not really two weeks because it was spread over no you know that's, this is that's what the problem I, I find as well it's it's usually somewhere between 16 and 20 writing sessions yeah yeah that's sometimes spread out maybe one day I can't write and it's not working yeah, yeah. um or like maybe another day I have to take off because it's family or it's there's a holiday or something but yeah when you tot it up it's like I know I can really reliably get x amount of words down in that time multiply yeah, my my uh, strengths coach, everyone drank, um, is is high analytical, and so she is really forcing me to confront the data and be a bit more systematic in my like goal setting and timeline and deadlines and stuff. And my competition is like, no, I will do it faster, even though like everything about reality tells me otherwise. But anyway, um, okay, so let's talk about how you actually sell the book. So are the audiences like the same? Are the marketing methods the same for both crime and um, fantasy? Do you do exactly the same thing? Can you treat them the same? Do you have to do things differently? Talk about that. Yeah, so a little bit a little bit of the stuff is the same and some of it's different. There's, there's overlap, but yeah, each genre is its own beast. Um, so... Primarily, they seem to be on different social medias. I find that the fantasy used to be on Facebook, but now there's a big reader base on Instagram and TikTok is growing quite fast. Um, Crime, that tends to be on Facebook. There's massive reader groups on on Facebook for crime readers. So yeah, where I'm marketing is totally different in terms of social media. Um, When it comes to paid ads, uh, that's similar for me. I'm a Kindle Unlimited author, so I tend to stick to Facebook and AMS. and, and that's just the difference of copy and, you know, all, all that palaver. Um, with the other services, there's, there is a slight difference. So the BookBub et al. serves the fantasy audience really well because it's US-based. However, because the crime audience is mainly UK-based, that's where I can get my highest ROI from. So that's where I market to. They don't really serve the UK. So that's not really a strategy that I tend to use for the UK audience. We just don't really have that many providers focusing on it in the UK right now for that sort of thing. So yeah, that's kind of a big picture overview of what I do that's the same and, and different. Do you find like the, because both your series, Fantasy and Crime is in KU, right? Mm-hmm. So are there any differences with reader behaviour or do you, or because they're all KU, is it kind of similar? Like is one group more interactive? Do you get more engagement from one? Do you find some are binge readers or slower readers? I don't know. I'm just curious if you've noticed any differences there. Um, uh, <laughs> I think there is a difference in, oh, there's just a difference in readers. There's different pools. So like trad readers are very different to indie readers. But in indie readers, there's a whole spectrum of what, as well of different kinds of readers. So there are indie readers who like the trad end. They may be like more um, longer prose and they're happy to have a bit more of a trad style. There are other readers that kind of want the, the binge readables and they want to be the whale readers picking up like 10 books a day in KU, that sort of thing. Um, 
So I, I would say there's this mix of readers and what I tend to focus the fantasy on is the standard sort of KU reader for that genre. Mm-hmm. And what I tend to focus the crime on is that, but maybe skewed a little bit towards the whale reader. Um, I find that the style of writing is just is just a bit different and it kind of hits a different part of the niche. No, I find this so interesting. It like I this is what I love. Like this just like it's all energy pennies for my competition because I'm like, I love knowing the market. I love understanding the intricacies of niche and Mm -hmm. of like that reader behavior because you can really tailor what you do to your market and to your reader. So I just like I get high off this shit. Yeah. Um, But also I quite I quite like the Kindle Limited idea in that it's it's a subscription because a lot of my readers are lower income as well. Mm. So as much as I would prefer morally and from a business security point to be wide, and that is something that I do keep coming back to and going, is this viable yet? Is it not viable yet? I do really appreciate the readers who pick me up in KU because I understand that, you know, they want to read and they don't have unlimited disposable income to buy full price copies. So, you know, I'm quite happy that I can support them in a way and you know they still get access to so many fantastic books mm. I my behavior has changed very much like when I was at university I would have been if there was KU back then but I'm clearly too old for that um I would have been a KU subscriber not a day over 21 oh darling you can come back um <laughs> Um, yeah, I would I, have I've just came. given up. I'm too old. I've lost track now. I'm just like 21 and I. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. Um, but like, because I I read on my on Kindle and on my phone or whatever. But now because I spend all fucking day on screens, I can't stand reading on a screen. So like, I I really understand. Like, definitely, like I have gone in and out of love of reading digitally. And and it's not that I don't like reading digitally. Mm. It's just that. I spend all day on a screen. I do not want to do it in the evening. But like, yeah, I definitely, yeah, I, I think KU has its place and it is a huge benefit for a lot of people. Okay, let's talk a little bit about mistakes. What, like, have you made any mistakes um, in managing and juggling genres? Um, or have you seen other people making any mistakes? What do you feel is like the biggest lesson you've learned in this journey of like juggling I would probably say be strategic. It's such a me thing to say, sorry. But like, um, I think people can often jump into it with a, I'm just going to do this, it's going to be great. And then go, oh, it's not great. What, what's happened there? Um, and, and, you know, just turning out books doesn't make you successful. You, you just, that's just not how it works. You might absolutely be that one lucky unicorn who writes the perfect book and like stumbles on a seven video or whatever but like the genres I've written in I've already said they have such different story structures it would be impossible to do that by accident um and I had to take the time to learn those practice improve and and I still feel like there is so much left to learn and improve and constantly like devouring craft books and and business practice and all the rest of it um and the mistakes I've definitely made have been not been strategic enough in what I want to do um so not staying focused on and on brand so I jumped from epic fantasy to urban fantasy and I've done a bit of kids fantasy and let me tell you epic fantasy readers do not on the whole go read (laughs) urban fantasy they don't want that so I was like I'm going to write this really fun urban fantasy and it doesn't matter how good that is it's it did not meet what my readers wanted to read at the time so that was quite a lesson for me that 
if I wanted to write the books that I wanted, I could absolutely do that. And there is a place for every single type of goal in the author career. You know, you, you don't have to just aim for, oh, I'm going to get to seven figures a year because that's what I'm supposed to be aiming for, which I think sometimes it's kind of, it gets a bit confusing and people can just say, oh, you like, you need to focus on, it's the money. It's the money that matters. If you're not successful, if you're not earning money and like, that's bullshit. If you want to go write the books you want to write, fantastic, go do it. But you have to understand that that will impact your career as much as if you want to write books and go for the money, how that will impact your career. So, yeah, for me, I stay on brand and I focus now. It's about setting and managing expectations for my readers, making sure that I'm satisfying them and giving them what they want and what they expect. Um, You know, they're trusting me to deliver what I've promised. And each pen name for me is a promise to deliver to them the thing that they're wanting. Um, And for me, that also comes back in. I balance that with writing the kind of books I want to write that will deliver that, which will also help me do this as a full-time career. Let's talk about craft. You've mentioned craft a few times. I'm interested in the differences. Like, how do the two genres sound and feel to you, like, when you write? Are there differences in voice, in tone, like, word choice? I don't know, like, geek out on me and talk, talk a little bit about, like, the differences there. So, so much. Oh, it's fascinating. So... This was really illuminating, particularly going to crime. It was the first time I'd really stepped outside fantasy and fantasy subgenres. And I find that it is a completely different writing style. So it's really punchy and pacey. Um, And throughout everything I write, I write character-focused books. So that always colours what and how I write. Um, But for the crime, it's, it's all about driving forward. It's very quick. It's easy to consume. It's a really nice hit of dopamine that basically activates that pleasure center in the brain and you're just giving the reader what they want. It's a really satisfying, twist turning action-filled plot. They're going to get the bad guy. No, they're not going to get the bad guy. The detective's in mortal peril. It's just like, go, 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 go. And then you get the reveal and you get the satisfying after and then it's done. And you can close that book in a couple hours and go, hmm, yeah, that was good stuff. Whereas the fantasy is, like, I just find that's totally different. It's a totally different pace and... I don't know if you'd agree. Um, <clears throat> I think indie has changed fantasy a lot. Um, traditional old fantasy, I would say there was quite a lot of waffle. <laughs> There's no way to put that nicely. There's like lots of traveling about and like long feasts and things like that. And I think readers don't have the attention span for that and they don't want that now because they don't have to have that. Writers are writing quicker, tighter, punchier books. But I still find those so much, um, I don't want to say slower because maybe that's the wrong word, but there's something that is more of an experience about them. So, you know, you can take two pages to describe this beautiful feast and the flavors bursting on your tongue or, you know, an extra few sentences to describe the way that light shatters in a julep forest. And, you know, there's a gown, there's always a fantasy gown in these books. And it's just like of such incomparable beauty that it's just alive in your reader's mind. And I just find that it's just like a really, a really visual feast. It's less about the action and what's happening as in, and kind of in a driving the plot forward way. There's, there's more time to kind of stop and appreciate the beauty of the prose and the world and like all the richness that kind of takes you out of like our kind of world experience and into that place inside where everything else just drops away. Yeah. Um, and, and I love that. Like, I, I've just started getting back into a fantasy project. And this is the first fantasy I've done in a, almost a year. And oh, it feels like coming home. Like, oh, it's just beautiful. 
<laughs> there are like palate cleansers, right? Like that's why mm-hmm. I like doing to well, like doing young adult and um, nonfiction because I sort of crave the other whilst I'm writing one. And it's almost like we were saying at the beginning about having more creative pursuits than just the words. Well, for me, like yeah. that is about splitting and having a creative pursuit that rests me from the other one because mm-hmm. at the end of every book I'm fucked <laughs> I like wrecked absolutely exhausted yeah. I've poured everything I have into um into each book so yeah, yeah. I find yeah. that I put different things into each book so the crime for me is that palette cleanser it's quite light and it's quite fun and it's a lot easier for me um because I just write outside the world that's outside my front door. I write mm. about my local city, about the hills that I can see from my house. And that's really lovely. Um, whereas the fantasy is is deeper and more grueling because I have to invent every single part of the world and all the yeah. rules in it. And it's yeah. uh, like at times just like, oh, oh my God, this is just so much effort. As much as it is worth it and kind of what I love doing. So yeah, like creme is my palate cleanser. <laughs> I, I love it. And I think everybody should have a, a palate cleanser if they are, if they can. But obviously acknowledging that managing multiple genres is difficult. Yeah, just start a new pen name, guys. Yeah. Because <laughs> you need any more like... shit on your plate. Um, okay. Before I ask the ultimate podcast question, um, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about being a mum and being a wife and being a human. <laughs> with responsibilities mm. how do you it's complicated ma- shit <laughs> yeah how do you like manage life alongside business how do you ensure that you look after yourself without letting mm. the business crash is there like anything that you could say to those people who maybe are struggling because they've got so much on or yeah yeah I I think this is a genuinely hard thing and I know like we've spoken about it especially during the pandemic it's really bloody hard to juggle it all and you more often than not feel like you're dropping half the plates and yeah it's difficult um I've learned the hard way how to manage this by nearly crashing and burning to be honest um my career my full-time career has been five and a half years now and the first four and a half of those were spent in really green grueling personal conditions so it was my childbearing years so I was dealing with things like baby loss, pregnancy, depression, postnatal depression, having a baby, like what the hell, like that's a bit of a transformation to your life and kind of getting into the swing of the things of that. And then of course we had a lovely pandemic just as um, a bit of fun for us all. And it's been really hard to juggle everything. And I know that so many people are in the same boat and I've always just thought, try a bit harder, dig a little deeper. You're just not, you're just not doing enough. Do a bit mm. more. So you're nodding. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so, I feel that that's exactly how I talk mm-hmm. to myself and it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. And it has taken me uh, probably almost a couple of years now to work away from that to a point where I feel like I am on a much healthier journey now. And I now put myself on the top of my priority list instead of bottom, because that's, that's how it was. I would give everyone and everything else the best of me and I would get what was left mm-hmm. if there was anything. And there typically wasn't anything. Um, and, and a lot of that comes from deeper psychological things like self-worth and, and things like that. So actually it's, it's been a much deeper journey than just going, I'm just going to prioritize myself um, to actually get to the point where I can do that now. But yeah, I, I prioritize myself now. So I make it a priority 
to put my own oxygen mask on before I put anyone else's on or do anything else. And I think I was always, and I don't know what you feel about this, I was always striving to find balance. And I don't think it's about balance. I think it's about priorities. Like you can balance all you like, but it's the priorities that count. If you prioritize it, it gets done. Mm. If you don't, it doesn't. So for me, at the forefront and of my routine and my structures, which are the things that I rely on every single day to get all the stuff done and juggle all the things, it's the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. It's I meditate every single morning without fail. I prioritize exercise in my routine. I go to the gym four times a week now. I have PT who beasts me and she gets the best out of me. Um, I need to up my steps because I've been totally slacking on that. But, you know, balance, priorities. We can't do it all. We just have to try. We have to let it go. And we can't do it all and keep trying. Um, sleep hygiene, routines, work-life cut-off. I work four days a week and that is it. The other three days I'm with my family. That is the balance that in this season of life works for me and my family so that I can be present for those three days with my son and with my husband and the four days a week I'm working you know my husband takes my son to, to preschool I just get up and work in the morning I do the pickups and you know in the evenings I might need to pick some things up and I don't tend to work many evenings I might start working some more because there's a lot of things I want to learn and do my learning in the evenings and um, because that's something that gives me energy pen pennies as well um but yeah so I guess for me, it's about trying to balance priorities and kind of what comes where in the packing order and making sure that everything that I'm doing is stuff that actually needs to be done. Mm. So we have a cleaner now, we have a gardener, we have a window cleaner. I outsource what I can from my life and that's spreading into my business as I outsource there too. So that I've got the support around me, um, you know, with a really supportive husband and to, to be able to juggle everything really the best, the best I can. And quite often I still feel like I could do more and do better, but I think you just have to meet yourself where you're at and think, okay, what's the best I can do for the situation where I am right now? Oh, I love that. And I think that's so true about balance versus priorities. I, yeah. um, yeah, uh, I love that. And it's been a very slow, gradual realization for me as well. Um, but yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is the rebel author podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Oh, I'm dreading this question because I'm like the goodiest <laughs> goody two-shoes that ever was. <laughs> Like, I'm not even joking. I colour inside the lines my whole life. It's taken a while to just, like, find that I was in a box and then get out of the box and then be like, oh, this is exciting. Um, so I think probably the, one of the most rebellious times uh, for me was quitting my job. Um, it was not in the manner and place and time of my choosing, shall we say that? But we just ran with it. <laughs> so I trained as an accountant. That was hideously boring. Once to make me jump off a bridge. I then went into teaching because I was like, I will save the world. And then I got my degree and went, that was shit. I'm not going to save the world. <laughs> it's just not meant for me. And I stuck at my uni job, my little my little job down Tesco supermarket, working on the customer service desk. Got a couple of books um, coming by that point and just thinking, this is, this is not where I want to be, but I'm in my comfort zone and everything's okay. And as you know, comfort zones, they suck. <laughs> Like you don't do anything interesting in a comfort zone. And I'd worked there for five years at that point. And all of a sudden they turned around to me and went, you've got no job. Yeah. So that was fun. And it basically came down to them saying, we don't have a position because they were cutting costs and cutting staff and all the rest of it at that point. Um, 
don't really have much else. Uh, I've got like this job. Do you want this job? And I looked and went, no, I don't want that job. But, you know, I went home to my husband and totally had a freak out because I was like, I have no job. Like, what's happening here? At that point, we were like quite poor. We didn't have any savings and all the rest of it. And it was terrifying. And I guess I had the realisation that I could either stay in that comfort zone and take the shit job and never do anything with my life and probably die full of regrets. Or I could actually use this as fuel for the fire and see what else was out there. Like I had always known that I wanted to be creative and I wanted to write and draw and I wanted to make my living that way. It just It's just not something that you do, is it? We're not pushed to be artists and writers at school because that doesn't pay the bills. That's what we're told. And I'd bought into that lie all my life. But I just got, the, got to the point where it was like, it's now or never. So I went into my store manager's office and the HR lady was there just kind of smiling like, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. I'm not sorry at all, but I'm so sorry this is happening to you. You know, you know. Yeah. I was infuriating. And I basically went, there's my letter of notice. And his face was just like, the shock on his face was like, I don't know, I just flashed him or something. The horror on her face was like, I just drowned a litter of kittens in a barrel. Like, you can't quit this job. And I walked out of there. I had one week's notice, one week's pay. I had no savings in the bank. I had no fucking plan. This was absolutely not how I had planned to become a full-time author. Not at all. We just got married by that point. And we were going to start trying for us. I'm like, this is just not optimal. Like, this is not great. And I ended up, well, like, here we are. It worked out, but fuck me, that was scary. But yeah, I put my big girl pants on and that was probably one of the most rebellious moments in my life. And it taught me a lot, like, about confidence and going for what you want in life. And life really is too short. I don't regret the years I spent doing all the other things now because I know that... I was doing it out of self-preservation and that Mm. is a good thing. Like your brain, your brain's first priority is to keep you alive and your brain's second priority is to keep you happy. And it thought it was doing the best for me. And and I, like, I welcome that with love, but I'm very glad that I quit my damn job. And like, I went into a training course with the Prince's Trust and I set up my business and yeah, made a ton of mistakes on the way and eventually got to here. So yay for being a rebel. I love it because like, so many good things come out of that desperation. Like when you yeah. are literally up against the walls, so many, yeah. I hear that story over and over and over again. It's like yeah. Dan always used to um, talk about uh, change. Innovation always happens because of desperation or inspiration. And mm. like, I, I just think that is such a, um, a common story for writers who were just absolutely desperate. And yeah. all of a sudden they are able to do these like, magnificent things yes because you don't consider it if you're in a place of comfort you don't consider what you could do or what you need to do yeah yeah I love it I love it thank you so much for your time today and um would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and anything else that you would like to add hey yeah sure so um all my crime books are at megjolly.com all my fantasy books are at megcowley.com that's basically me and hit me up on social media if you want to chat 
And I will put those links in the show notes as well. So, of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Med Jolly and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Steph Green, and we are going to be talking all about how to skeleton draft. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.